Welcome to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Our mission is to bring you discussions on a wide array of topics in the coaching world to grow players on and off the court. You can connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and also reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Now, here's your host, Coach Mike Hernandez. Alrighty. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you guys so much for joining us here for another episode. As always, wherever in the world you're listening to us from, whatever platform you guys are listening to us on, thank you guys so much for the support. Thank you for the kind messages, emails, tweets, all the love on social media you've sent the show's way and and messages you've sent to me personally. Keep that coming. Really appreciate it and really excited to have you here for this episode. Uh, over the over the course of of doing this show for a few years now, I've I've always enjoyed my conversations with coaches who love talking about uh, program building and and the things that they've done to take over a program and make the most of it. And I, I've had conversations with coaches who've talked about programs and taking them over of limited resources, those who've had a lot of resources, those who've turned programs around, and really enjoyed all those conversations. And and this one is in that similar vein, but it's from a little bit of a different perspective because this one is about multiple rebuilds and and my guest and the experience that he's had uh, with rebuilding multiple programs and the lessons that he's kind of learned along the way. So if you're a listener who finds themselves in a situation where you're with a program and you're looking to turn it around and you're looking to rebuild it, I am very confident you're going to get some really good information out of this one. So I'm very happy to be joined by my guest. He is very busy in the basketball world. He's a coach at Highlands Ranch. He's also coaching for the Colorado Miners. He's he's a basketball guy. Uh, coach Jordan Carter is here joining us today. Coach, appreciate you coming on. How are things going? Coach, thank you so much for having me. I'm not too bad, all things considered. Awesome. Great to hear, Coach. Uh, now, I know that this topic kind of lends itself right into uh, the first question I ask every guest, but I'll start with it anyway, which is, your basketball journey and your coaching journey uh, and where that journey has taken you and ultimately how did you end up uh, at Highlands Ranch and how did you end up affiliated with the uh, Colorado Miners Association? For sure. Well, I'm from Denver. I'm born and raised Denver kid. Um, I actually attended Chatfield High School. I played at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. And I was a teammate of Derek White. He plays for the Boston Celtics now. Mm. I think that's like my small claim to hey, fame. That's, that's great, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I was there for when he was – I was a junior when he was a freshman there. He played a couple years with me. But um, while I was in college, I actually got into coaching AAU ball just um, primarily because my freshman year, VCU went to the Final Four with Shaka Smart. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. That year, Colorado CU was supposed to make the tournament. Uh, they had Alec Burks and they kind of got stiffed a little bit. And VCU got in, and we were like, Who's VCU? And then they went to the final four. And Chaka Smart, I think, was like early 30s at the time. And they pressed and ran their way to the final fours. That kind of got me interested in coaching for the first time. I'd always thought about it as a kid, but I never really got serious about it until I was in college. So I've been coaching club ball for about 10, 11 years since college. But I didn't get into coaching high school ball until after I graduated and got into grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got into grad school, going to education, and then I actually became an assistant at Rainshu High School in Aurora, suburb of Denver to the east. And 
uh, Rangeview a few years ago won 6A state title. It's our biggest classification, Colorado. Uh, luckily, of course, um, theme of my life, I left Rangeview the year before they won the state title. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's that's just my life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, almost, they almost won two in a row. They were undefeated the following year going to the Final Four, and then it got canceled because of COVID. Oh, wow. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I was an assistant at Range U. I was my first teaching job, and that helped me get my first head coaching job, which was at a school called Mountain Range High School. It's north of Denver. It's a 6A school. Um, that was a big rebuild job there. Um, but after a year there, we um, – my first year, we didn't do so well, kind of a rebuild year. The second year, we actually were able to host a playoff game. And then that some, you know, that spring and summer COVID hit. And then that summer came over, came down to Highlands Ranch, a little bit closer to home down in Denver, another 6-8 school. But we, we play in what, in my opinion, is the toughest league in the state of Colorado, the Continental League. Uh, we have Thunder Ridge High School, which just got, just won back-to-back state titles a couple Ooh. years ago. And this past year, we had the number one and number two ranked teams in the state of Colorado going into the state tournament. So, I mean, it is brutal. Um, whenever people ask about the league, I compare it to the Big 12. Like, you know, it's like the Colorado equivalent to that. So it, it's it's tough. But um, but that's been a lot of fun. And I've just completed my three, third year there. So we're coming in hot on year four. So I've been here for a while. But um, looking forward to it. Um, <laughs> another gear up season for us, for sure. So you are in the highest classification at 6A, and then within that, the, the, the toughest region within that. So you're, you're really at the mountaintop over there. Uh, I'd like to think so. It's it's tough. It's definitely yeah. a tough league for sure. Uh, you described yourself in, in our initial conversations before we started recording as somebody who is a hoops junkie, and and, and I, I love that. And, and I know that when you take in as much – information about basketball and coaching is that I, I know one of the the tricky things can be filtering all of that stuff and and absorbing and reading and watching all this stuff and then trying to go through the process of picking out the stuff that actually applies to you or interests you or has meaning to you so I wanted to ask you about what's that process like for you where you can take in all of this and, and learn all of this but actually then figure out what actually works for you and your program for sure. Um, that's something I think I've gotten better at as time has gone on. Um, just nature of being a head coach and kind of figuring out what your niche is and what your style of play is like and what, you know, what your personality is like. I think when I first started, I just tried to like internalize everything. Right. I think I would just go down rabbit holes. I still do that and go down rabbit holes of basketball and you know, we live in the greatest generation, right? Because we have access to YouTube and all these old games and all this game film and clinics and all that. Like so much information is at our fingertips. I think it can be hard to sift through all of that. Um, but I think what I've found over time is there's certain things that I can take and I can use for me and for our program. And there's certain things that maybe don't fit my personality or maybe our personnel or, you know, kind of the, the style of play that we're trying or the culture we're trying to build here. So I think that's kind of an experience thing. But I think it goes to it goes back to knowing who you are and knowing what your team, what your personnel is like. So mm -hmm. I think uh, having a pulse on your program is really important to that, because there was a time when I just tried to, like, put way too much in. 
Um, I think especially when I started, I would try to just put everything in at once. And if you're confused and if you're not sure what you're doing all the time, then your kids sure aren't. So I've tried yeah, to yeah. simplify you know, addition by subtraction. I, sure. I, I did the same thing where I would, you know, start now coaching. If I saw something on YouTube that looked like a cool set or a cool out of bounds, yeah. like, oh, I'm taking that. I'm putting that in tomorrow sort of thing, you know, because yeah. it all just looks so like, oh, man, this looks great. Look how great it works for them or look how awesome it looks on this, you know, five on oh, you know, walkthrough <laughs> that this coach is doing. And uh, and then, you know, I quickly realized about like, oh, well, also like they also have these certain players that maybe my players can't do all these things that are on this particular video. Maybe I got to find stuff that actually like works with the players I have. Exactly. Yeah. That, that took a while for me to, yeah. to learn. Unfortunately. Yeah, but, but some but, of it just looks so, so tantalizing when I see, you know, a six, eight player get to do something in the post and I'm like, oh, oh yeah. wait, I coach girls and I don't have one who's over like five, seven. <laughs> so wait a minute. I got to maybe alter this a bit. That's funny. Um, so multiple rebids, so rebuilds. So let, let's kind of, let's kind of walk through the, 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 the journey here of the process of a successful rebuild and, I guess what I wanted to kind of kind of start with in the general sense about did you find that the journey of rebuilding one program was different than the next or was there a same kind of process that went through uh, each program that you were a part of? That's a good question. Um, well, I would think, you know, I got my first head coaching job um, five years ago, so I had just turned 26. So really young, um, I'd just been an assistant for a few years. And I think, you know, kind of like what we were just alluding to, like, you don't know what you don't know. Yep. So I came from a really successful program. Like I mentioned, Rangeview ended up essentially winning back-to-back 6A state titles. And um, the class that I came in with when I was first hired on was loaded. So I was coaching kids that were just athletically superior for the most part to most teams we were playing. So... You know, obviously, when you're young and you and you you're a basketball junkie like I am, and you put in the time and it and it works right away. Sometimes you tend to think that maybe you're the reason why you're winning. You know, and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, maybe not so much your kids. And that I tell you, that first job, it it kind of slapped me in the face a little bit. Um, I, I had really had to soul search and reevaluate. Um, what I was doing that that first year that I got there we were our our league was really tough and the team I was taking over had lost quite a bit and I ended up having to kick a couple guys off around the Christmas break which was also tough as a young guy so um, I think just kind of having to look inward and kind of see you know what what am I really in this for like what are my core values and I think I tried to skip steps, which I've learned since not to do. And I think, honestly, that experience helped me a lot with the second rebuild because I kind of saw what happened the first time, what was good, what wasn't so good, what worked, what didn't work. Um, I think the biggest thing, honestly, number one is you have to, you know, beyond basketball, you have to build a relationship with your players, with the returners. Because obviously it's the toughest for them because they've been, they've grown accustomed to, a certain voice and they've grown accustomed to a certain type of leadership and culture and familiarity. Yeah. Right. Right. And they're kids, you know, and that's, that's tough. And so that's the number one thing I think is just establishing trust with your players and trying to show them that you genuinely care about them beyond the basketball court. It's not all about what they can do as athletes for you, which is tough sometimes. 
So that takes time. That's not something you can do overnight, no matter how authentic you are. And I truly think that like every coach for the most part says those things, but kids know if you're not being real with them, like if you just say things, they sound nice, sound nice. I think kids figure that out. Um, So I had to, I had to kind of check myself and go back to what, you know, what got me to that point and trying to establish that relationship with our kids. I mean, that first year that I coached at mountain range, my first job, it was really tough. And then, and then we lost all of our starters except for one going oh into boy. that. Yeah. You know, so it was just like, goodness, like if we weren't very good this year, like what does the future hold? But, um, you know, lucky, lucky for me, and I will say the one X's and O's thing I will say, because I think by and large rebuilds aren't predicated on X's and O's and schemes. I think it plays a part, but I think it's more about mm-hmm. you know, the, the relationships and culture that you build. But I will say schematically, the one thing just happened to coincide. It was the spring of 2019 at Texas Tech went to the final four and we, we kind of stole their no middle defense, their man to man that they've made famous now and Baylor won a national title with it. So we kind of took that there wasn't any clinics or anything, but again, the magic of YouTube, I was able to like, yeah. <laughs> I was able to run through hours of film and kind of figure it out. And we, we were able to construct some drills on it and nobody out here in Colorado had really seen it before yet. Um, so I think that gave us an edge and then, you know, just year two of, what we've been building helped trust and more buy-in. So I think my second team at Mountain Range wasn't as talented probably, but a lot more success. We hosted a playoff game, more than tripled our win total from the first year. So that helped a lot. And then, you know, having gone through that, when we went to the second rebuild at Highlands Ranch, I think we, I at least I had more of a, a confidence that it would work. It just might take a little bit of time. Um, you know, I think every anytime you've gone through something some kind of adversity like that previously and you've seen the other side of it and you've seen that it does get brighter the sun does come up the next day I think sometimes it makes a little bit easier you know but that that first time I wasn't sure man like I wasn't sure if we were ever gonna ever gonna be able to get it turned around so it made the second time a lot easier for sure and you mentioned and I do agree with you how how important the culture aspect is and and obviously as we'll we'll talk about a little bit later the x's and o's are are, do matter and they do play a role but establishing or, or reestablishing and building that culture is 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 key and so to to be in a rebuild situation there has to be uh a, a reason why why something has to be built based on what was happening or not happening before uh you and your staff got there and I, and I was curious what you found um culture wise that you and your staff had to do that maybe was not established or in place prior to to your arrival Oh, for sure. Well, um, honestly, a commonality I, I found between both rebuilds was there was just kind of a disconnect between the coaching staff, the previous regime, and the, the kids. Um, and I I think, you know, and not necessarily because the coaches were like bad guys or bad coaches because they weren't. But I think I attributed more to like the changing times. Like, you know, when you and I are growing up, coaches, you know, what coaches said went. And we just did what they told us to do. Like when I was growing up, our coach would our coach would tell us to do pre preseason conditioning at the track starting in August, and we just all showed up. You know, there'd be 30, 40 of us out there, like, oh, that's what coach said we had to do to play. So we're gonna be here. And you know, I think nowadays, like kids really gotta understand the value in things. And I think you have to explain things to them and you have to put in the effort to 
you know, make a connection with them and to, you know, once again, kind of alluding to what I said earlier, show them genuinely that you care about them as a human being first and as an athlete second. So I think that piece of it, I think that was what our kids were wanting. And I mean, the reason I got into coaching was to try to beat the coach that I needed when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I tried to put a premium on that. Like our coaches spend a lot of time with our kids off the court. It helps to have guys in the building. It's always helpful in high school realm. Um, so I get to see them every day. And I try to make, I try to go out of my way to make sure I have those authentic um, connections with them day to day. Like I carry around a note card every day with the names of all the kids in our program. And I try to make a point of having some kind of interaction that has nothing related to basketball with them every single day as I'm walking around the school. I like and I that. Yeah. Off the list, you know, um, you know, I, I try to, but when you got 50 plus kids in your program, it's hard to do that <laughs> classes. But Yeah. Yeah. Trying to teach yeah. on top of that and do everything else. Right. Right. But, you know, I think it just gives me a level of focus every day, even little things like that. Like you may, you know, it may seem like trivial to some people, but I think over time, like it, it, you just, you get to know all the kids and then you have a running dialogue with them outside of the game of basketball. And I feel like then guys will play harder for you. They're more bought into what you say. Like, I always feel like, you know, X's and O's ultimately, uh, as long as they're fundamentally sound, they're a wash. It's more about like, can you get kids on the same page? Can you articulate what you want them to do? And are they willing to sell out and do that for you? You know, are they willing to play hard for you? And do they trust you? And I think that's the separator ultimately. And, you know, I found like some of my teams, if you look at them from the outside, like we're not an all airport team. A lot of our teams have not been, you know, you walk up, watch them walk through the airport. You're not like, wow, that's a, <laughs> that's a team of hoopers like that team, <laughs> you know, but, but then we've had guys that are, we've had teams that are really successful because they're bought in, they play well together and, you know, they're all on the same page. So I've, I've found that like, that's really, really important. Like as long as you can get everyone moving in the same direction, ultimately X and O's wise, you know, the rest will fall into place. So I think culture wise, just putting in that extra effort to build those relationships and those connections has gone a long way for us. And did you find that either, either of these rebuilds, did you find there to be uh any, any, any resistance? Were there things that you were trying to do, whether culture-wise or off the court, that there was any, any pushback on or any, any breakthroughs you had to like re really fight for? Or, or did you find that the, your players were really like eager and, and excited about, you know, the effort that was being put in off the court to, to bring the team together? That's a good question. I mean, to be honest, I think I've, I usually got more pushback from the older guys. And, you know, part of that is kind of understandable, like seniors, because they've grown accustomed to things being a certain way. You know, they're in their last year of high school. And then you're coming in with a whole different outlook. Now, not all of them. Like, you know, some of them were very much all about it and bought in and whatnot. And then and then some of the kids, it just seemed like, well, you know, I, I was starting last year. Like, why do I need this? Or I was doing well before this. Like, why do I need to change anything? And and I think part of that's just human nature. And again, they're teenagers. So I, I try not to hold that too much against the kids ultimately. Yeah. But I think it was much easier for the younger guys, I think, because another thing that I've found, and, you know, I think that goes back to my high school days. A lot of the younger guys in a lot of programs, not just ours, um, they felt kind of disconnected from the varsity staff and the varsity head coach because I know like a recurring thing I've recurring thing I've seen throughout programs uh, in my time is 
uh, varsity coaches, you know, and I know it's probably not true, but you know, younger, younger level kids kind of get the feeling that the varsity coach doesn't really care about them until they're at their level, you know, like once yeah, they become, varsity you got to earn the right to talk. Right. <laughs> right. You know, like a uh, varsity coach doesn't even know who I am until, you know, I'm a junior or senior or might, might have a chance to make their team. And I never wanted that to be the case. You know, I try to pop into practices. I try to watch games as much as I can. It's hard to sometimes with all the game prep and all that stuff you do. But um, I think just showing your face. I mean, I've had I've had comments from parents like kind of echoing the same thing. Like, you know, when I was in high school, the varsity coach like didn't know who I was till I was like a senior. But, you know, it's nice to see that, you know, he's he's at the younger level games and he just watches and. You know, I don't try to micromanage my coaches. I try to just be a fan and encourage the kids and genuinely just watch and interact with them and joke around with them. So I try to keep that, you know, a little bit looser than maybe the the environments that I grew up playing in. So, you know, I try to be different in that way. And I think that's helped with a lot of the embracing, especially by younger kids. And I mean, older guys have been great, too. I've never really had a problem besides that my first year being a head coach when I had to. I had to kick a couple guys off the team, but you know, that's a whole nother animal. But I mean, for the most part, it's been, it's been pretty good overall. And I think the more success you have, the more, you know, the easier it becomes to get that buy-in. I do think it's so interesting how uh, there is, a, a, there is like this memory that we all have of like the, the, the head coach being somebody who like was unapproachable or like, he wasn't going to know your name until like, or she wasn't going to know your name until like you've earned the right for them to know your name sort of thing. Right. But it's completely different now. And, and, and I think too, uh, kind of, kind of, kind of going beyond that with, with the way that, uh, a lot of high school sports are with, you know, people like moving or transferring or switching schools. Like you, you almost in a way are in, in some instances fighting to keep your players and you have to maintain those relationships and build those up because they got a lot of options, a lot more than even when I was in school about 15 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's the reality nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Uh, X's and O's wise, I know that you, you mentioned obviously, and I agree that the culture piece is the most important, but there was some X's and O's stuff that was put in. And, and I'm curious if you found that there was something that you had, you put in X's and O's wise that, was was best for like a rebuilding team or a struggling team? Was, was there something that you're like, okay, if we if we work on this, like this is going to get us on the court uh, in a much better position than maybe they were in previously? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, that's uh, honestly that's what got me interested in jazz up about coaching in the first place. You mm -hmm. know, kind of talked about Shaka Smart's VCU team and his havoc style of play. I mean, they barely got in the tournament back in 2011. They were in the first four. And they ended up going to the final four and they pressed and ran all game. You know, like I vividly remember watching in my dorm room, them press full court press Kansas. So I think it was 35 and two at the time of that, of that game with the Morris twins and all those guys. And they upset, yeah. them, you know, and I was just, I, I remember being mind blown because I'd always been told that if you were the underdog, you know, you got to slow the game down, right? You got to make the game much shorter, Lim right? Limit possessions, it. yeah. Yeah, you know, slow it down and, you know, keep the less talent, keep the more talented team from running, uh, keep the possessions very short or very long and, um, you know, control the game. And they were just running and getting up and down the court and firing threes and upset their way to the Final Four. 
And, you know, that that kind of led me down the rabbit hole of, you know, really studying some of these rebuilds because I figured because I knew I wanted to be a head coach and I figured um, I would be, you know, if I ever got an opportunity to be a head coach that more than likely I wouldn't be taking over a program with a staff <laughs> covered. You know, most of the time when when coaches leave or they resign, it's because they feel like they don't have a lot coming back, you know, <laughs> like except for very rare instances. So. I tried to find, I tried to study coaches that and teams that I felt like won with less at a high level. And particularly because I always liked running, I always liked playing up tempo just from my playing experience. Like I tried to study coaches like that. So um, to me, um, I think what really intrigued me was studying Rick Pitino, particularly with mm -hmm. his with his older teams, like not even like before Louisville, like, UMass. yeah, like Kentucky coach, Kentucky back in the day in Providence. And when he oh, took Providence, over, UMass, that was Calipari, I believe. Yeah. 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 UMass yep, yep. Also, also a great rebuild for sure. Um, you know, but like, I think Rick Pitino intrigued me because he took over Providence and Kentucky when they were really down. Uh, I think Providence was coming off like an 11 win season in the prime big East, like, when they had Patrick Ewing in, at Georgetown and mm -hmm. Nova just won the title. And then when he took over Kentucky later, I think they were coming off probation and they weren't even allowed to in the tournament for like two years. So they like, everyone transferred out of there. And then he would press, he pressed and ran and won immediately with, with those high major college teams. So, so kind of like studying what they did and they got me intrigued on, you know, can you, can you win with less talent playing up tempo and with like high pressure basketball and trying to force turnovers and whatnot? And I think that fascinated me and really got me into that. Um, it ended up backfiring me, backfiring on me a little bit initially my first year uh, at Mountain Range, my first head coaching job. But I think um, it kind of turned me on to the concept where I've arrived at is X's and O's wise when you're trying to overachieve. I've really found a lot of success with implementing a style and system that is unfamiliar to teams that you're playing against and makes you a unique scout or a unique prep for other teams. So, I mean, if you're, if you're running a system or a style of play, a defense offense that opposing teams don't see very often, so they have to spend extra practice time or scout time mm -hmm. preparing for what you do, I've found that that's been really successful for us. Like you can have less talent, but if they have to take time out of their practice to focus on you rather than, than on what they do, and if you can control the tempo, whatever it is, fast or slow, I think it gives you an opportunity to do some good things as long, so long as you play well and the pieces fall together. Um, you know, I think in particular, our this team, our last year, you know, I started a 6-1 center. Uh, we lost like we were only returning like five points per game from the previous year's team. And we were able to we were able to do some really good things because we played very up tempo. We we played multiple defenses. Uh, we still play the no middle defense I alluded to earlier. Yep, yeah. um, you know, a lot. Not a, I, I think like maybe I've seen two teams out here try to run it in the past four or five years. We've been running it out here. So, you know, teams, you know, most, most teams out here play pack line. Or, you know, get man-to-man -man or they'll play zone. Um, you know, we play multiple. We'll press. We run on makes or misses. So I think it makes us a unique scout. It makes us a little bit more difficult to prepare for. Now, if we don't play well, it doesn't really matter what we run. But, you know, <laughs> I think we're clicking and we're playing pretty well and guys are bought in. 
Um, it can be hard for teams to figure out no matter how talented they are. And I, I think we need any edge we can, especially in the league we play in. And I think that's given us an edge. You know, there's only so much we can control as coaches. So I think just playing a unique style of play. And that takes, you know, that takes studying other teams' style of play and what they run and what they do and trying to, like, make your make yourselves a little bit different. You know, if we were running what everyone else ran, I don't know that we'd have much success because then you're giving the other team a comfort level. Yeah, and, and, and that is tricky because you're looking to try and run something that nobody – maybe nobody else runs, but also that you have the personnel to actually run it and you right, have the but... ability to actually do, do it the right way. And I think that – that 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 gets a little tricky, but I think your point about playing with like pace or playing with tempo, and I think, I think as it was it was told to me once, and I think maybe I had this conversation with a guest before, is when when you're maybe not as talented or or don't have the 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 athletes or, or the players as much as to kind of try to make the game as as almost as messy as possible, yeah. and just try and like muck it up and and make it maybe not resemble basketball as much as you can, <laughs> and you know because. I mean, I've been in this situation many times, a lot of games where, you know, I know that if I, if I try and slow this down and play a half court game against somebody, we're going to get picked apart because that's just not, we, we don't have, uh, we, we don't really have the horses to necessarily do that day all, all the time. But if we want to run and try to be the most conditioned team and just, just try and muck it up and get and make things frustrating and, and run up and down the court and, and do all those things to be disruptive. I found that, you know, that, puts us in a lot more games than trying to grind out games and do the do the traditional Princeton offense of the 80s. For sure, yeah, absolutely. So structures when it comes to practice, what what has gone into the practices and the and the practice plans that you put in uh, when you were uh, starting to rebuild these programs? Was there certain strategies or certain structures for your practices that you thought were were best to hit the needs of, of your programs? Well, first off, I think just, um, first of all, I just try to put in more work and more time than everyone else. You know, I feel like once again, there's so little that we can really control as basketball coaches. Like we like to think we can control a lot, but I think ultimately there's, you know, uh, realistically there's very little we can, <laughs> we can directly impact. So, um, you know, ever since I've gotten, ever since I started working at Highlands Ranch, um, I've, I've opened the gym at 6am every weekday, uh, for kids that want to come in and get shots up. And if they want me to work them out and do put them through drills, I do that for them. If they just want to come in and, you know, we have that shooting machine, the gun, mm -hmm. um, they just want to come in and get a bunch of shots up. That's cool. Uh, sometimes we have enough guys to like run four on four or five on five. I let them do that, you know, because I think once again, if, you know, I, it's hard for me to get up at 5am. And I don't think kids would want to willingly get up in the morning at five, five thirty. If they're like, "Oh, coach is going to make us do a bunch of sli defensive slides and make us, you know, do box out," <laughs> you know, like yeah, I, I kind of yeah, make yeah. their time, you know, like if they want to just come in and get shots up and play or work on ball handling or finishing or whatever, even mess around. I think like any time in the gym is good time. So I try to put in more time than anyone else. So that's number one. But as far as like practice structure, I think what's really made a difference for us, uh, we we went and visited as staff uh, almost two years ago now. Well, we went and visited uh, Nate Oates at University of Alabama for a few days in their preseason training camp, watched them practice. And um, like, I was really struck by how, how they, how they structured their practice. They pretty much, 
didn't didn't ever do starters versus subs, which is like all of my experience growing up. Like I think high school and college ball, there was always like, you know, your first team and your second first team. First five, next five. Yeah. Right. You know, they're playing every day. And, you know, the first five is supposed to win every drill, right? Because of the starters. So I think it's just like, you know, if the if the subs beat them, then the coach is mad and the kids are mad and all of that. But that was all I knew. But what what really struck me about Alabama's um practice structure was he just mixed it up every day. You know, like today we have, you know, we have a red team and a white team. And then you can you can kind of manipulate your matchups and you can see how kids work together. And, you know, like most, like a lot of programs, we practice our varsity and JV together. So then you can mix those kids together. You're getting some of those JV or younger guys, some essentially some varsity reps every single day with different personnel. And then we make every single, we make every single drill uh, competitive, um, either against a time or score or against one another. And we keep track of uh, teams that win drills and lose drills. And like I used to do preseason conditioning, like my high school coach did. We don't do that anymore because number one, no one shows up. <laughs> but you know, but number two, I felt like um, we could kill two birds with one stone by doing our conditioning on the basketball court. So yeah. the only conditioning, the only real conditioning we do is like uh, at the end of practices, like the team that lost the day, like didn't win as many drills. You know, they have they have some time sprints based on how many drills they lost by. And I think, you know, I've, I've come to believe that playing hard and competitiveness are skills. So we try to cultivate those skills every day. So every single drill is competitive. So we put like game-like pressure on our guys. And I think that's really helped down the stretch. Our guys, the last couple of years in our, in our playoff runs have done really well in the fourth quarters when other teams falter. You know, when you play a fast style of play and you're pressing and running, um, not only you're wearing down the other team, but when you're playing that way every single day and you're practicing that way, I think you guys are more, your guys are more conditioned and you're used to it. Yeah. Games are supposed to be easier than practice. Um, so I think that's really helped us, you know, even if we're not the more talented team or more athletic team, I think if we can get teams to play our tempo and our style of play, or of course with 32 minutes at some point, they're going to break down because they're not used to what the, you know, the kind of style of play that we run. And a lot of teams will only play like six or seven guys. We're going to play nine. So I think our guys are pressured down the stretch. So I think practicing that way every day, putting game like pressure on them and, making everything competitive has really, really helped us. It sounds like overall, like one of the big keys I kind of take from that is just uh, the intensity uh, of practice, like whether it's the competitiveness or, or working on situations, like there's a certain intensity. And I think like focus that it sounds like with, with your practices, where, like you said, I think the practices in, in a lot of ways and in, in almost every way, it seems like are, are both physically and mentally like demanding and more strenuous than the, than the games are for your players. Cause not only are they doing a lot physically, but you put them in a bunch of these situations. That's a lot of, a lot of mental work that they're putting in as well, trying to figure out what to do and what the best way to go about doing something is on the court. Oh yeah. No question. No question. And it, you know, it translate, I think, I feel like it translates well to game time because we all, we all know like it's easier to make great plays and hit shots when when you're fresh. I think when fatigue sets in and when you've had some frustration with calls or turnovers mm -hmm. or whatnot, you know, when the game inevitably happens, I think that's when it's tough. So we try to put our guys in those kind of situations as much as possible.
Uh, you mentioned how one of the uh, things on, on your rebuilds that maybe you would have done a little bit differently, as you said, I, I, if, if I remember and I wrote this down correctly, that you uh, maybe tried to go through the first one quicker than you should have. And that mm -hmm. the, the second one you, you were more purposeful and took more time on. What what did you find uh, at, at the second one at Highlands Ranch that you needed to commit more time on and, and make sure that you spent more time on that maybe you didn't do uh, at the first stop? Well, I think, yeah, once again, just, you know, byproduct of experience. Of course, learning. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I was just 26 and had nothing but winning records at the lower levels, you tend to think like, you know, and I've never been like an arrogant person, but, I, you know, I thought I knew what I was doing, knew what I was talking about. And then, you know, reality hits a few months later and it's like, oh, maybe I don't know anything at all. So <laughs> I think what I think that experience taught me that you can't skip steps i tried to skip steps that first time um i felt like hey wherever we're at i'm gonna figure it out like this is what we do this style play it's gonna work um I, the kids just have to learn it and just buy in whereas that second time when i got to islands ranch so you know it's a couple years later having gone through some tough times and then a couple times a couple of full years as a varsity head coach it was more like okay where are we at mm -hmm. Who are we playing? What is my personnel? And uh, what do I need to do as a head coach to continue to develop and grow and get better in order to best serve these guys and to continue to get better and to put us in a position to be consistently competitive night in and night out? Um, and I think just having that experience the first time um, because the first, you know, my first head coaching job after, you know, that first season, I had to do the evaluation, all that after that first year. So I did that initially the second time and said, we're not going to do that again. Like we yeah. may struggle, we may struggle, but I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm not skipping steps this time. Like we're going to focus all in on relationships, on building the style of play and the culture that we want as far as work ethic, as far as how we interact with each other. And I mean, I've said culture more than I really I'm comfortable with because I really think like culture is kind of like that cliche buzzword that all coaches say nowadays, you know? Uh, like, yeah, it's kind of it describes a lot of things and nothing sometimes at the same time. Right, right. And you know, and I always wonder, like, if you ask a kid in a program what their culture is, like, could that kid articulate that to them? Like, would they even know what that means? And uh, like, I, I feel like culture is – it's how we act, it's how we interact, and it's how we respond. So if we got to build that every single day. So how do we interact with one another? Like, how do we conduct ourselves on and off the floor? Like, when and then when adversity hits, how do we respond? Like, that's ultimately what our culture is. Um, even if kids can't, like, articulate it, you can see it in their actions and body language, how they treat one another and whatnot in everything that they do. So it's like, what are we doing to model that? And so that second rebuild... We kind of knew what we wanted to do, but then there's a whole new set of challenges because you're in the middle of COVID. You know, I got yeah. the job in the middle. I got the job late July of 2020, and we didn't have a season in Colorado until late January, I think. And it was it was a mess all over the place. Like some leagues were having teams test every other week, and some teams weren't, and like some leagues weren't, and we were in mastering the games. I think we only played like 10 games or 12 games. Yeah, I think. I think we played like two non-conference games and 10 league games, which for us was brutal because our league is dominant. Like our, yeah, we had the state champion, we had the six, a state champion in our league. They're about to win back to back. 
in our league. And then our one of our two non-conference uh, games was Denver East, which is a traditional powerhouse. They actually just won 6A State this year in Colorado. So, I mean, just a – Yeah, you know, just a, what a season that is, huh? <laughs> just a I've gauntlet. Yeah, I think just learning – just learning from my mistakes where before it was more like the first job I thought that I just knew I knew more than I actually knew and this time is more player centric like I know what I want to do I know who I am I know I want to play up tempo I know I want to run but what what guys do we have where are we at and do we have to modify what we do a little bit this year Mm -hmm. our guys where they're at to help them have a chance to be successful and I think just that, that perspective helped a lot, um, you know, making sure that it's player centric, first and foremost. I think as coaches, sometimes we can get wrapped up in what we want to do, but in kind of lose focus and lose sight of what it's really about, which is about about our kids. You know, oh, and, to- I, and I think the having to go through what you did during during COVID, I think really put magnified the importance of relationships and, and connectiveness, because I think as a coach, if you weren't, you know, checking in on your players, building relationships and doing all that during that time, then I, I don't know what you were do- doing. Right. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's and that's yeah, and that's that's a good point. I mean, that was essentially what we were doing because sometimes we couldn't even practice because you know COVID rev- regulations being the way that they were. Sometimes we were just having like Zoom calls or Google Meets and talking to the guys and being a new staff. It, it, it'd be tough for an established coaching staff to maintain relationships like that, let alone a whole new regime. So mm-hmm. you know that was a unique challenge, and ultimately those struggles helped us. Um, you know, every struggle we've had as a staff, every struggle I've had individually as a coach has helped me long-term, even if it's hard to see in the moment. But, you know, that's not something I'd ever wish to go through again, for sure. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think I think once is more than enough for, for me personally of having to, having to go for that experience. But, you know, as you mentioned, looking at the bright side, it was an opportunity that luckily for, for me and other coaches to really, I think, reset and and really refocus or focus better on like the relationships we had with kids but uh yeah i I don't envy having to try and take over a new program in the middle of all that that's you know you're just trying to establish yourself and you don't even know what what the protocols are going to be or what's gonna what's gonna happen one week to the next so hopefully that following 2021 season seemed was more normal and more stable for you to really hit the ground running yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, well, we've 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 actually had some pretty good success. I mean, the last two seasons we hosted we hosted and won playoff games, and this past spring in March we were essentially two stops away from going to the Elite Eight, which is remarkable. Yeah, that's awesome. If you would have told me that a year ago, laughed <laughs> in your face. So uh, that that that's great. Uh, did did you? Uh, and this is this was just popped in my head because we're talking about culture and, and, and interactions. I was wondering about. Uh, parent interactions or, or community interactions was there was that anything in particular that you you had to focus on in your rebuild and that was an area of priority uh engaging with parents or, or or doing you know any any community or stakeholders or what what was that process like as you were doing your rebuild yeah um yeah the, that was and i that's you know that's always the toughest part of coaching i think is you know just you know dealing with parents and expectations of parents and families and community and whatnot um, and that's that was something that I had no awareness of when I first got my initial coaching job at, at Mountain Range, my first head coaching job. Um, the importance of that 
I, like I, I tell guys that want to be head coaches all the time now, like, you know, basketball takes up about 25, 30% of your job when you're, when you're a head coach, like so much of it is dealing with all these rules, regulations, meetings, parents, community, that sort of thing. Um, so that first job, you know, I didn't know what to do. So that's another experience thing. I wasn't really sure. I didn't do a great job with that. I think the second job, just being proactive in communication with families and trying to establish a line of communication with them early and often, trying to keep them in the loop, trying to find opportunities for them to help out. Um, you know, when I came to Island Ranch, something new, they have a they had an established booster club that, that okay. was willing, willing and able to do things like my stops as an assistant coach and my first head coaching job, we, we didn't have anything like that. We had to fundraise our own money. You know, sometimes we had to take our own money out of our pockets for, for our kids. It was just the nature of the area and the demographic that we were coaching, but it's a little bit different situation at Highlands Ranch. So um, dealing with sort of that, that whole deal and um, figuring out, you know, what, what parents are used to, what they're expecting. I think it helped that, the parents didn't have a great perception of my predecessor. So I think uh, within yeah. reason, anything that we did was going to be phenomenal. So I think yeah. we were spoiled by that for the first couple of years. And now, you know, you got to you get new classes coming in, new kids and new families. So you kind of start over with that. But I think just being proactive and making sure that your first communication with parents and families is a positive one rather than when like something's amiss or something's going wrong. I think that goes a long way because then they know that you're more in it for the welfare or the well-being of their kids than you are for yourself. So that's, that's, that's been a learning process as well. And I'm still working on getting better at, but that's definitely a component of it when you have to run a program. And yeah, to, to your point, right. It, it's, it's at least in initially you're going to have a, maybe a little bit more, uh, of a leash from these parents because there's probably if you're taking over a struggling program they're probably looking for something new and something different but even right. still like you do gotta you you definitely gotta you know then prove and but then that also as I'm thinking does create another um, tricky situation where like they already had this this negative experience and players might be and their parents might be kind of teetering on the edge about whether or not they even want to stick with basketball or stick with doing it if they haven't had a great experience or haven't seen success with it. So, and on that side though, you really do have to come in and really show your stuff and show that you know what you're doing and that you care a lot about these kids because you don't, you don't know where their heads are at or what, what they might even be feeling in terms of enjoyment about basketball at that point. Oh yeah. No. It's, and you know, I think I said that earlier, like, especially at Highlands Ranch, we had to I think our first couple months on the job, we were trying to convince a couple varsity guys, returning varsity guys, to keep playing basketball. I had a couple guys that ended up starting for me for two years, like dead set on never playing again. They were just done with it. So, you know, that's you know, that's the part. Like, I can't learn any of that from a coaching clinic or from a YouTube video. It was just kind of trying to be genuine, trying to sell the vision and trying to be my authentic self and build a relationship, you know, and that's, that takes time. And it was hard. Like one kid who ended up starting two years for us, I don't think he decided to play until the second day of tryouts. So it took a good four months of just like needling him and talking to him. And, you know, I don't have much experience with that. It's not college ball where you're used to like recruiting kids and whatnot. I had to kind of figure that out on the fly. So mm. it, you're never bored being a head coach. I'll tell you that much. You always yeah. have something. 
Yeah, no, no, I, I agree with you there. Uh, so obviously the work is never done as a coach. We're always tinkering. We're always improving, always trying to get better. But in your experience with the rebuild process specifically, was there a point where you did feel like things had been rebuilt or you had gotten to a point where you're like, oh, I, I can definitely see significant progress is made. And and what was that difference from when you took over to when you had that epiphany of like, oh, like we're really getting somewhere? Like what when did you kind of notice that, that you had hit that point of making a lot of progress? Well, my my coaches accuse my coaching staff accuses me of being too pessimistic privately. Never in front of the kids, but, you know, I always I, – I, I'm sure most coaches can relate. Like, anytime we don't play well, we lose, the world's coming to an end. We're never going to win another game. And, you know, and then when, when we win, then, you know, we got lucky. And I, I still don't know if we're ever going to play well. So, I think that's just kind of how I've been. But I think you can – I think even outside of the program, outside of the locker room, when – people in the community with only a passing interest kind of take notice and see a change in the demeanor of your team and see even even if you lose you're competing at a high level and you're right there and you're not overmatched and it seems like you're doing the right things and kids are bought in and they're enjoying it and there's more involvement i think that's the indication to me that you're moving in the right direction like first job at mountain range mm -hmm. that first year we had a rough time but then that second year um, you know, we tr we more than tripled our win total. We hosted a playoff game in 6A, and I think we were moving in the right direction. You know, that that following year after that, we would have been returning four of our five starters. Um, I felt like we had good momentum. I think I think what I've come to define, at least at this point in my young coaching career, is that if you establish momentum and you maintain that momentum and you keep being competitive night in and night out, year in and year out, you know, even if personnel changes, I think that's when you can kind of pat yourself on the back a little bit if you ever are comfortable doing that and say that you've rebuilt something. And when we came to Highlands Ranch, um, you know, I was a little, I was a little hesitant because it just seemed like just the nature of our league and how tough it is. I wasn't mm -hmm. sure, you know, it's like, man, we might have to get lucky. Like we might need to like, gets get lucky on some players or whatnot but um you know the first once again the first year it was COVID short and it was weird but we didn't we didn't make the playoffs that year and uh, I think we only played like 10 or 12 games and we only won two games and 10 of our games were in 10 of our games were in our league which was the toughest in the league or toughest in the state but um, the last two seasons we posted and won playoff games and like I mentioned this past season this past season we pretty much were, you know, we pretty much were a stop or two away from making the elite eight. So I think just maintain that momentum. We've lost, we've lost, we've had a lot of turnover and still we're moving in the right direction, which to me says we have good buy-in and, you know, that buzzword, the culture has taken hold. <laughs> Kids, you know, when we have older guys teaching younger guys um, in drills, I think that's, that's my favorite part of coaching. That is fun. On, that is a lot know. of fun. Yeah. And, and that's something I hadn't experienced since my days as an assistant be just because my first job I left after two years, you know, but now I'm going into my fourth year and I got older guys, you know, quote unquote veterans teaching young guys like, no, this is where you rotate. You know, this is what we do spacing off the ball in teaching guys. So it's not always my coaching staff and I, so I think sometimes all those components, I'm not sure there's ever like one or two signifiers. I think it's like a combination of 
things that you've been trying to preach and teach to your kids taking hold and you're seeing them organically happen in your program, I think that's when you maybe see like, hey, we've made some positive momentum. We're trying to keep it going. And it seems like it's taking hold and guys not only understand, but they're bought into the point where they're teaching younger guys rather than just yelling at them for not passing the ball. They're actually teaching them <laughs> how to be successful in the program. So, you know, I like to think that that says that we're doing the right things and we're moving in the right direction. I I, I like the uh, the point that you mentioned uh, as as when you are rebuilding with a group and then that group leaves and then the next group comes in, but you can still pick up right where you left off of the other one. It's like, Oh, they just came in, but they're, they're, they're right there with me. It's like, Oh, something has to be working because like, <laughs> I can just keep this thing going and keep working on it with a entirely new group. Who's just able to like pick up where they left off. I think that's, that, that that's a great feeling. I think to know that you have that like continuity and that things can just keep going year after year. Yeah, no, it's that's that's gratifying in a lot of ways because you know it makes you makes it makes it feel like maybe you are doing some some positive things, not just luck of the draw. Yeah, and I know we're always our harshest critics on that sort of thing too, for sure. Uh, before I hit our concluding segment, I did want to just ask in general, and I know this 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 would cover a lot of ground, but if if you were to uh, talk to somebody who's in this position where they are taking over a program, maybe it's their first coaching job and they're taking over a struggling program and they're just kind of looking for a starting space or looking for something to kind of sink their teeth in to get going. What, what, what would you tell that coach who might be in that situation? I would tell them, I think two things, like mainly number one, be authentic and be yourself. Um, I think I've seen coaches at all levels played for them and, coach with and against them fail because in my opinion, they're trying to be somebody that they're not. I think if you're a disciplinarian and you know, you're hard and you know, you're dead set in your ways, if that's who you are, then that's okay. If that's not who you are and you're trying to emulate like some coach you worked for or played for, and that's not really in your nature, I feel like kids sniff that out in an instant. So, um, you know, and on the flip side, you know, sometimes you know, so-called players coaches get disparaged a little bit. They kind of get bad talked, but, you know, I guess, I guess if you were to watch one of our practices or watch our games, I guess you can consider me a player's coach, but that's who I am. You know, I'll joke with the kids and, you know, I can be, you know, I'll be hard on them when I need to be, but I think by and large, I've tried to just be authentic to who I am. And I think that helps a lot. I just think that, your play, your players and your coaching staff knows if you're not trying to, if you're trying to be someone you're not. So I think be authentic to who you are. And number two, and something that, you know, took me way too long to figure out, unfortunately, is spend some time and figure out exactly what you want to teach and something you believe in on both sides of the ball, whatever mm -hmm. that is, like defensively and offensively, whatever it may be, something that you are excited and genuinely you know, jazzed up to teach to your kids every single day. Um, it it took me a long time to figure out um, what I wanted to do. Like, all I knew was, like, I wanted to press and run, like, Shaka Smart and Rick Pitino. And that's not good enough. <laughs> like, that's, you know, that's, that's like a, that's a small segment of the game. Like, what, what are my, what are my philosophies in the half court offense and defense, which takes up most of the basketball game? You know, and like I said, that that Texas Tech no middle defense that I found, um, you know, some believe in, some don't, but I really believed in it. 
And I think because I and my staff really believed in it and were excited to teach it and work with, with our guys every day, it worked. And then visiting Nate Oates and Shaka Smart and running some of some of our hybrid dribble drive, up-tempo type stuff offense, I've gotten really into it over the last couple of years, being excited to teach that to our guys. I think it's made a big difference. Like our offense took a big jump when we really went and committed to our style of play and like had a dead set philosophy on how we wanted to play on both sides of the ball, our efficiencies and defense and offense took a big jump. So I think if I were to go back in time for myself, you know, not only just Mm -hmm. giving, not just giving advice to a young coach, but to myself, like spend some time and figure out exactly what you want to do. Even if it's not like, you know, quote unquote, the best or quote unquote, you know, what, what you're going to be doing years from now, just, find something that you're really excited to teach and that you really believe in and you'll teach it so much better and your kids will believe in it. Like they can tell, they can tell, <laughs> uh, they can tell if you, if you're not really sure if something's going to work, you know, like they can tell if you don't really know what you're talking about. So I think those things being authentic and then being completely committed to what you're doing, you know, with some wiggle room, you know, based on personnel, obviously you got to tweak it based on who you have and what you don't have. But um, just, you know, having having a belief, a conviction in what you're going to run, I think is it'll it'll take you much further than anything else. And I and I like that a lot. And I think one of the other things, too, that goes with that is if you have something that you really believe in, you you yourself won't give up on it in the middle of the season. Like if it's something you really care about, you'll work to learn more about it, get better at it, refine it. Whereas if it's something you're only half-hearted into, I, I've been in those situations where like, I just want to blow up everything I do halfway through the season and try to install something new. And that's not going to help anyone either. But, but like you said, if you have something you believe in uh, your, your players will know you'll be excited and you'll, you'll keep working to get better at it. And I think ultimately uh, if, if it's something good that you picked and something meaningful, like hopefully it'll work out in the long run. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. hundred percent. To wrap up, Coach, there's a couple of, uh, questions I ask every guest. I'll go ahead and start here with this first one, which is uh, thinking back onto your coaching career, what is a moment from your coaching career that you think others listening would be able to learn from? Yeah, well, I think I think we've touched on it a couple of times, actually. The, the biggest time, I think the biggest one was my first year of being head coach at 26 years old. And I wanted to I wanted to press the same way that Rick Bettino did at Providence back in 1987 when Billy Donovan was his point guard, you know, now the coach of the Bulls. Uh, problem was, I'm not Rick Pitino. I didn't have Billy Donovan, and mm-hmm. it wasn't 1987. You know, it was 2018. So um, it's a different, it's a different just a era. Just fi- a few things off. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, I figured because he coached an unathletic team in the height of the Big East, like, why wouldn't it work at Colorado 6A basketball? But that wasn't the case. Um, you know, it's a different era. The game has evolved even from when I played, you know, 15 years ago or so. Like, I mean, everyone can shoot threes now. So many more guys handle the ball now. Um, it's, it's harder to do the same things that teams were doing 35 years ago. So I think just, um, the coaching moment for me was figuring out like, Hey, um, just because it worked for someone else doesn't mean it's going to work for me. Um, I'm not that guy (laughs) and his team is not my team. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't mean we can't take some segments of what they do and be successful with it, but um, we have to ultimately craft our own style of play, our own philosophies. Um, and every single team and situation is different. And honestly, as tough as that was, I wouldn't trade that failure for anything, for that struggle, 
because that helped me become the coach that I am now. And it's got me in the mindset where I always need to be improving myself and getting better. Um, I think sometimes when you have success right away, it makes you a little complacent and, you know, like maybe you settle a little bit, like it doesn't mean you don't work hard, but maybe, maybe you're not reaching or challenging yourself as much as you might, if you were struggling or if you're under a little bit of pressure, you're like, man, I don't want to lose my job. Like I got to get this thing together. You know, like, I don't know if I don't go through that. If, if we go visit Alabama a year and a half ago, or if, you know, last summer I went and worked. Uh, Marquette camp for a week of uh, Shaka Smarts camp. Like maybe I don't pursue those opportunities mm-hmm. if I didn't go through that failure. So I guess the, I guess overall the moral of that is even if young coaches, young coaches are going to struggle and they're going to fail, but that doesn't mean that that's their narrative. And that doesn't mean they're always going to fail. And there were moments I thought that was going to be the case for me. You know, there's, there were some times I was like, well, maybe, maybe this isn't the thing for me. Maybe I'm not meant to do this, yeah, but doubt, yeah, Right. But I think that, you know, there's two ways you can take it and go, well, this isn't for me. Or you go, well, I'm going to figure this out. (laughs) Like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to find a way to make this work and I'm going to make myself better. And I'm really, really glad that I chose the latter because now, you know, I I really think basketball and sports gives you, particularly when you're a coach, I think it gives you an opportunity to experience things that you can't get any in in any other realm. Right. Um, No, 100 percent. Yeah, there's no way you can experience some of those, some of those feelings of elation after those big wins or those playoff <laughs> runs. Like, there's no way you can nothing manifest. like it, right? You know, it's nothing like it in life. So, um, all of all of the struggle, all of the all of the failure, um, you know, there's undoubtedly a lot more in my future, which is cool. Um, I've learned to embrace it a little well, bit. More to learn from, right? Right, failures <laughs> for the wiser for sure. Awesome. Uh, to wrap up, I give every guest what I call a 60-second soapbox, and I kind of feel bad because you were just so eloquent there, but I'm giving you a, giving you another uh, prompt here to, to keep going. But uh, in this in this soapbox, it's your platform to kind of get out like a final message, a closing idea, a final thought, just something that you want to leave the listeners with, whether it's related to this topic or something else basketball or coaching related that you want. Entirely up to you. It's your soapbox after all. So, Coach, I'm just going to give you the floor, and uh, I'm just going to kind of let, let you take it from here. Oh, well, that's a, that's a heck of a lot of pressure, man. Well, number <laughs> one, I'm timing you. So don't worry. You go over 60 <laughs> seconds too. <laughs> well, if anyone at Chassa Colorado high school, our sports associations listening out there, please, please, please give us a shot clock. It's time. I vote for it every single year, but my goodness, it has not happened. So we still don't have a shot clock, but my, my uh, complaining aside, um, you know, young coaches, guys that are trying to find success. What I've found is, you know, go against the grain, try to be different, try to be unique, try to be a unique scout. I mean, we press and run and we've never have had the best athletes since I've been a head coach. We've never had the most talented guys. I haven't coached anyone that's, I haven't coached anyone in high school ball. I've coached some, I've coached some in club ball, but no one in my high school years that has obtained a full ride scholarship to play basketball. And we've played at the highest level in Colorado and we've experienced some good success. I think just going against the grain, being authentic with who you are, not listening to so-called conventional wisdom. Um, if you really believe in something, you believe you can make something work, then put in the time and study, seek out wisdom, um, and just continue to experiment and tinker and do what fulfills you. Um, you know, be be that unique team, that different team, uh, execute a different style of play, and you'll find some success with it. And always remember that, you know, it's what's it's not what you know as a coach. 
Um, it's what your players can understand and what they can execute. So if you can't articulate that or get them to understand or get them to trust you and buy into what you want, then it's ultimately all moot points. So, you know, that's, you know, I'm in my long coaching career, long head coaching career of five years. <laughs> um, that's what I've accumulated in that time. So uh, I think that's what I, I can share at this point in time. Awesome. Uh, Coach Carter, really appreciate you coming on, talking about your experience with some successes, the rebuilds, everything that, that that's happened with, with COVID and all the other stuff of building a program and, and talking about uh, the the art of the rebuild and, and all the great work that you've done. And appreciate you sharing those experiences, the highs and the lows and everything that kind of goes into a rebuild. And sounds like you're doing great things. And I think there's more bright things headed for the future. So best of luck, Coach, going forward. And thank you so much for coming by and talking with us. Thank you, Coach, so much for having me on. I appreciate you. Thank you guys so much for listening. This was another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast, and we will see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Make sure to connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, or reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next time.